Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. Today it's part two as we go into Mary's song. I know I said we're going to do the songs, but Mary's song has a lot to do with it. And even Micah, as he leaned over to me and said, Dad, how are you going to tie that video into Mary's song about fear? Because Christmas, it does bring up fears. Um, there's a lot of fears and a lot of things that, I mean, there's reasons to be afraid of things. But sometimes we carry fears that we have no control over. It could be just bearing this season is a tough time to go through. Um, fear of being by yourself. I mean, some people, I fear I'm not going to get what I wanted for Christmas. Um, but the fear Mary actually talks about here, I think it's important for us to talk about and unpack a little bit because it's part of her song. And last week, our main theme, and this week's the same, is we are called to make God's greatness look as great as it really is. And I hope the challenge as we approach Christmas is how can we do that? How can we do that in our families, with our friends, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, that we can glorify God and talk about how great he really is? Because that's what Mary's doing here. Now, growing up, one of my favorite cartoons was Hagar the Horrible. And I loved Hagar because from a guy who loved to draw, he was simple to draw, you know, just put the hat first and the eyes and the big mouth and the, the beard coming over the top. I loved Hagar and I loved some of the, the comments he made. There was one and I couldn't find the actual strip. I, I know I have it in my office, but if you've seen my office, you wonder how I can find anything. Um, but in this, he is praying to God. And he prays this to God. It's not easy to believe in you, God. We never see you. How, how can we ever know who you are? Because you never show yourself. How do we know that you even exist? And in the next frame, all of a sudden, a flower pops up next to Hagar. In the distance, a volcano erupts. The sun eclipses and all of a sudden he's in darkness. Stars begin to shoot across the sky. A tidal wave comes and just washes over the top of Agar. A bush is burning in front of him. And then a stone is rolled away from the entrance of a tomb. And Hagar responds, okay, okay, I give up. Every time I bring up this subject, all I do is get interrupted. <laughs> and if we're not careful, we can miss God's greatness when it's right in front of us. How easy it is to get caught up in not seeing the greatness of God, especially in the small things. So if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to finish up Mary's song there. And again, like last week, I'd like us to read this all together, if you will just so we can get the impact of a song. So Luke 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of my humble state of his servant. 
From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from the thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He is I like hearing you guys. In Luke 1, verse 49, we talked about the mighty one has done great things, but then she says, holy is his name. And he doesn't say that his name is actually holy. His name is actually Yahweh. But when she puts it this way, it means holiness is in the character of who God is. He is holy. Everything about him is holy. And Mary holds up the heart of God's holiness as he talks about the different things of God and who he is. The God is not like us in any way, shape, or form. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, as God speaking. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And last week we talked about what God did for Mary. That's the first theme of her song. I want to talk about two other themes of this song. The second one is what God did for us, because that's what she writes about. In verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him. Now, mercy is defined as the compassion and kindness shown to someone whom it is in one's power to punish or harm. Think of a parent. Uh, a parent can give mercy by not disciplining in such a way. I mean, I understand mercy from my parents. I, I had a great dad. I mean, he wasn't perfect. No, no human person is, but he's pretty darn close to that. And he extended mercy, but there's sometimes that mercy was not extended to. Because he could at any time, as us brothers got in trouble and mom, we were too big to discipline, uh, dad would come home and we'd hear the truck and we'd panic and we'd put extra underwear on and do whatever we knew. But it didn't matter because dad was going to go to bare butt anyways. And he would do that thing, which I've talked about before. He'd walk down that you know, hard, hardwood floor hallway with his boots, snapping that belt. Just putting the fear of God in us instantly. And so mercy is when you have the power to punish, you have the power to discipline, and you choose not to. But it's mercy is extended to those who fear him. Now, of all the emotions that there are, you know, reading a lot on fear and what they think fear is, is what is the top emotion? Anger and fear are at the top of the list. And I, I believe fear is at the top of anger because yeah, I, we can all get angry, but fear seems like it camps out easily, so quickly in us. If we've learned anything in the last two years of how quickly fear can spread. Fear is a powerful, powerful thing. And the enemy knows that. 
And that's why when the Bible says, do not fear, and you guys know this, this is, you know, he commands, do not fear 365 times in the Bible. Do not fear. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Because he knows we are. He knows how powerful that can be, how we could just freeze with fear. Whether it's a real fear, whether it's a made-up fear, I mean, fear comes in a lot of different forms. Because what you're afraid of, I'm not afraid of. I mean, you know, going down, I, I, I don't necessarily like the dark personally. Uh, I got too good of imaginations and I see things move, okay? I really do. I mean, even when I walk from my backyard this morning out to the poker room, it's pitch dark, I still got a flashlight on. I know every step of the way. I know what, what's around each corner, but I also know there's skunks and raccoons and everything else around our place that I don't want to run into that inadvertently and say, where's Tim? Well, he's going to preach from home today because he stinks. Uh, no, I, I've, got, <coughs> I've got the flashlight on. But the thing is about fear is that God commands it over 365 times. Don't be afraid. But he says it almost 500 times to fear him. Wait a minute, God, you, you told me not to be, to have fear. Don't be afraid. But then at the same time, you go over and above and say, Fear God. 84 times in your Bible it'll say the fear of the Lord. 86 times fear of God. 186 times the fear of the Lord. The fear of God 134 times. And mercy, Mary says, is extended to those, given to those who fear God. And uh, so what does it mean to fear? I, I, let me be blunt. To someone who's not a follower of God, there's a lot to fear, okay? You're fearing the fact that someday you're going to have to stand before God, and it's not that you're going to give an account. He's going to give an account because your sins are listed there. You will be held in accountability and in judgment because of that, and he has the power to, to send you to hell. I mean, that, that, oh, that's not a very Christmassy message, is it? Guys, that's why he came. To save us from that. That's why Luke 12, Jesus' own words says this, but I will show you whom you should fear. This is Jesus speaking. Fear him who after killing of the body has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you to fear him. He's talking about his dad. Talking about his father. That's who you should fear. Hebrews 10.31 says, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So, for those who are not believers, there is a sense to fear God, to be afraid of what will happen when you stand before him. But for a believer, this fear is, is different. It says in Proverbs 1, 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Until we understand who God is, until we grasp that, of being in reverent fear of him. And I'm not talking about be respectful. We should all be respectful. We should be respectful of each other. But this is not the fear that it's talked about here. I mean, I respected my dad, but there was always this sense of like the old Bill Cosby line, hey, I brought you into this world, I can take you out, you know, type thing. That there was this healthy, healthy fear of my father. 
Not just because he could discipline him, but because of the authority and the power that he had over my life. To some, we have to somehow grab that, that. The fear of God is the basis of how we walk. It's how we serve. It's how we love God. It's this understanding that this awe and this reverence for this holy God that is there. And I understand we get this, well, Jesus is just my friend. And we sing with the Dubu brothers, Jesus is just all right with me. I get it. It's a kind of a fun song, but no. Guys, this is the God of heaven that created the entire universe. And Mary is saying, mercy is extended to those who fear me. Hebrews 12, 28, 29 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So there's this proper understanding of who God is, this one who created the universe, this one who's described many ways, consuming fire is one of them, yet wants to have a relationship with me. It's not that I'm supposed to be afraid of him as a believer. He promises never to leave me or forsake me. He promises to always be there for me. These are the promises uh, that his love protects me over and over and over and over again. All those are true, so I'm not to be afraid or scared of him, but there's this reverence and awe of who he is that, yes, he could take me out at any point in time. I mean, yeah, my days are numbered. I mean, he's, according to the scripture, I can, I can add to or I can take away. I mean, to understand that God could at any point in time take my life, which is a true, true thing, guys. That's reality. That's not morbid. That's just reality. And I can take that away by living a certain lifestyle where God says, like in Paul says in Corinthians, some of you I've had to take home early because of the way you're living. Be fearful of that. Live in fear of that. But also I can extend your days. I can add too. I mean, I was just re reading with the Holy Smoke guys on, on Tuesday about Hezekiah who, he was on death's door. Isaiah tells him, put your affairs in order, you're gonna die. And he begs God to live longer. And God extends him 15 more, day, 15 more years. Wasn't a good call. There was a rough 15 years, okay? I think I'll go with God's date, okay? I'm saving you from stuff. That was, it, that was a bad 15 years for Hezekiah. God can extend. God can take away. And I need to live in that place. The fearing God's meaning, having a reverence for him that has an impact on my life of how I live. So what is the fear? Let me run through some things. These things are in your notes the fear of the Lord is humility, Proverbs 15:33. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom, and humility comes before honor. When I fear him, that humbles me, that the God of the universe that created all things wants to be with me, wants to have a relationship with me. The fear of the Lord is the knowledge of God, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That when I get to know him, the more I read into the scriptures, which, guys, you're not going to get to know him unless you're in the book. I'm going to keep boop, 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 beating that drum. I need one of those big monkeys with the drum or the clapper. Clap, clap, clap. That I'm going to, guys, you got to be in the book. 
That's the only way. You got to be in the Bible in order to know who he is. And the minute you get more knowledge about him, the majesty of who he is, the awesomeness, the reverence grows because of your knowledge has grown. The fear of the Lord is respect for the power of God's word. Psalm 33, 8 through 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. What I loved about the story of Hezekiah is that Hezekiah, literally, he's been told by God, you're going to live 15 years later. And he says, well, how will I know that that's going to happen? And he says, how hard is it for a shadow to go down 10 steps? Well, that's not hard. The sun keeps moving, the shadow keeps growing. But what if it goes backwards? And right then and there, the shadow backs up 10 steps. God's got control of the, the dial on time. All right, he can turn it back. Now, there's some things I wish we could print, turn back. But he can because why? He's God. And when I read that, I go, wow. I mean, well, you created everything. You've got a do-over button, I guess, where you can spin it backwards if you want to. Because that's who God is. And when he, God spoke, things happened. The fear of the Lord is hatred of sin. Proverbs 8, 13. For the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. And one thing that hit me, going, okay, it's easy to hate pride and arrogance and sin in other people. How about yourself? I mean, Technically, it needs to start with me before I can start on anybody else, but it's a lot easier to point like this rather than the three fingers pointing back at me. Do you hate the sin? Just drive you crazy when you, just like that. You can go for, you can flip a switch that fast. You can say, praise God and Jesus, I love you, and boom, turn around and sin. That fast. It's mind-boggling. And I hate it. Because I realized that the whole purpose of Christmas was Jesus coming so they can die on a cross for my sins and how easy I can flip that switch. The fear of God is when you start hating the things that God hates. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life, Proverbs 14, 27 says. It's a fountain of life, which means it'll keep you from the trappings of what death can do. It, it's, it's life itself. It flows. It's a life spring that flows out of you to know where not to go. The fear of the Lord gives certainty of hope. Proverbs 23, 17 through 18, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There's surely a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off. And that's that part that I'm holding on to. Why should I fear when God is in control? Why should I fear when God has got this? Now, there are things that in my life that are gonna roll through, have rolled, and will again. But where's my hope place? Where's my anchor set? The fear of the Lord protects us, Proverbs 14, 26. It says that he's a secure fortress, not only for you, but for his children, it'll be a refuge. Guys, your kids are watching. Your kids are taking notes how you handle things, by what you say, how you act and react to circumstances that come into your life. They are taking notes whether this is real or not to you. Because when God becomes that secure fortress for you, 
it becomes a secure fortress for them. The fear of the Lord gives us confidence, strong confidence. Psalm 33, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. Think about that. The eyes of God are on you, just like his mercy extends. Very aware of what's going on in your life for those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from both death and keep them alive in heaven. Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. God's mercy is given to those who fear him, Mary says. She goes on in verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. How far does it go? That's back to your kids. It just keeps going and going from your generation to your kids' generation to your grandchildren's generation. That when they see that in you, there's nothing greater than when I see not only my kids pray, I mean, I, yeah, it's kind of like, okay, who's going to pray? Right, Justin, yeah, I, I haven't heard you pray for a while. You've been away from home, so I need you to pray. But when I hear my grandkids pray, and when I hear Alexander, that at the end he'll say, amen. Generation to generation, we pass that on that he has performed the mighty deeds with his arm. <laughs> I know you did, when I re, just like, oh, with his arm? Why wouldn't he use his whole body? But with his arm, you know, again, if you go to the gym, one of the party parts that most, I will say, guys work on, not that girls don't, are their arms. I mean, they won't touch their legs. They'll be at arm. I mean, you'll see these guys with these massive arms and biceps, these little bitty stick legs. It's just to, because there's something about that when, hey, can you reach that for me? Sure, you know. You extend that arm, you got the tricep, you got the bicep, you got that all going. I mean, there's something about that. And God's outstretched arm, 17 times in the Old Testament, it talks about God's outstretched arm. The God's outstretched arm is a reference to God's sovereign involvement in the world, shown by his mighty displays of power. In Isaiah 53, which talks all about the coming Messiah, it starts off with, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I mean, he just uses his arm to get his stuff done. In your notes, there's a further study there, but in Exodus, it was his finger that showed the representation of God. It was his hand that showed the power of God. It was his, it was his arm that showed the omnipotence of God. Again, when God extends his arm to save. And who is he saving? It says in verse 51, for he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Now, he's saying, guys, God flips everything upside down. That's what the Lord does. Everything's upside down. And then with this, it, it, it said, hey, the humble is going to scatter. The weak are going to dethrone, dethrone the mighty. The hungry are going to be filled while the, poor, while the rich are poor. This Messiah that has come as she sings this song, 
that mercy extended to, extended to those who fear him. That when we lean into that, from generation to generation, this will be passed on to. <laughs> and what's he going to do? He's going to flip it all upside down. That's what the Lord does. That nobodies will be exalted. I mean, you read through the, the gospel when Jesus talked about when, when the disciples wanted to be first. Can I sit next to you in the kingdom? Mother making a plea for her two kids. And Jesus said, no, nah, that's reserved. That's reserved for someone, which is going to be no one, someone that no one knew. I mean, it's for, for that humble servant. That's what, who is reserved for. Again, this is back to the humility because when I stand in the presence of God, I realize how small I am, but at the same time, that brings awe and reverence and fear because he still wants to have a relationship with me because he turns everything down. And not only what Mary writes, that theme of what God has done for us, he doesn't forget Israel, what God did for Israel. Guys, just like we went through the, the series in Revelation, God, Israel is still God's timetable. It's God's clock. Don't write them off. This little strip that has no oil, which I think is hilarious, but seems like they can just kick anybody's butt that comes at them because God is still focused on Israel because God made promises to Israel. That's why the last of the song says this. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel. Remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And it was customary in Jewish prayers to go back and remind, let's, let's remember all the great things God has done for us. Let's remember those things. And I've said that before, because you need to have a scroll of remembrance or something in your house that records all the great things God has done for the, you. Now, some of you do that in your journal. Then go back and start highlighting them. God did this, and God did this, God did this. You keep a running list of what God's done for you because here's Mary, he's, she's remembering. This is, this is what you said to Abraham. This is what you said to Israel. This is what you promised. And how empowering is when we're going through difficult times, when we don't know where things are going to come from. This last week I wrote down... Six things that have got to be met with certain things. I'm going, I, I have not a clue how this is going to be met. Not a clue. And it wasn't like, a good God, I don't know what's going on. It wasn't that. It's got, God, this is going to be fun to watch. How are you going to provide for this? And God provided for every one of them. But if I don't write that down, guess what? We forget that stuff. We don't forget the hard times. We'll remember that real quick. And we'll go back and, yeah, well, I remember. It's like when you get a bunch of guys telling war stories or something. You know, well, look at this scar. I got this. Well, that scar, that's nothing. Look at that. We can remember the hard times. Maybe we should just have a time. Okay, there's no bad stories. It's only God's stories of what God has done. How God has been so, so faithful. And that's how Mary ends this song. There are more references to Abraham in the Old Testament than anybody else, human-wise. Abraham is spread throughout Old Testament and New, is talked about more because promises were made to him. 
that were not conditional, that if you do this, then it'll happen. He made promises to Abraham. That's why when, when Joseph is being told by the angel about Mary, he says in Matthew 1, 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And this name Jesus here in Greek, it's Joshua, which means the Lord saves. Because why? He promised that all the way at the beginning. Despite Israel's sinful nature, despite Israel continuing to turn away from God, God still says, this is my people because God always keeps his promises. If you get anything from the today, get this. God always keeps his promises. Say that with me. God always keeps his promises. Don't say it like, say it like you're going to convince yourself. God always keeps his promises, as he does. And throughout, this, throughout the Old Testament, over and over and over again, and then brought up in the New, God has been on Israel's side. Psalm 98, 1 through 3. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have been the salvation from God. To Abraham, Genesis 17, then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him from generation to generation. Genesis 26, God speaking to Abraham, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring, Abraham, all nations on the earth will be blessed. The three great religions in the world today all consider Abraham to be their father. Muslim, Christian, and Jewish. Abraham is still part of that because that's where this promise was made that someday Messiah, the salvation to the world, would come. And God always, always keeps his promises. And as Mary concluded this, it says the rest of Luke there is that Mary stayed there with Elizabeth for, Elizabeth for three months. I mean, she didn't go back home. And still, Joseph knows nothing yet at this stage. She stays until John the Baptist is born, then goes home, and now she's three months pregnant. So there's no hiding it now. So when Joseph sees her, it wasn't Joseph, I got a story to tell, like, well, what? You know, what's going on? And that's when the angel then visits Joseph, and at least in the timeline, if you will. Mary's song teaches us this. God's mercy is extended, is given to those who fear him. So how are you doing in the fear department? Do you have a reverence and awe of a God who can take you out at any time he wants because he's God? Who can turn back time if he wants to? But a God who wants to have a relationship with you, 
the Lord turns everything upside down, that nobody's getting exalted. And Mary was a teenage girl, going to be the husband of a carpenter, but who was going to deliver the Son of God. God always keeps his promises. Always. Never are in our timing. Always his. But his timing is always perfect. So my challenge to you during this Christmas, we've got two more weeks. Christmas should always be there. I love that song, The Spirit of, you know, the Spirit of Christmas, because the basic of that song is, why can't we celebrate this all year round? Why can't we have this attitude? Does it take a tree with lights on it? Does it take a wreath? Does it take decorations? Or is it just the fact that I can sit back and realize what this time truly, truly means. I'm called to make God's greatness look as great as it really is. And when I fear him, my life should reflect that. My actions, what I, how I say, how I talk, where I spend my money, how I operate on a daily basis should reflect the greatness of God. May that be true for us this Christmas season. Father in heaven, I thank you for today that you got us up, got us dressed. It means you're not done with us yet. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us, help us take advantage of this time that you've given us. May we reflect your greatness. Father, thank you for extending your mercy to us. We're undeserving of it. That's why they call it grace. We don't deserve a bit of it. But because you chose to love us and extend that by saving the Savior into the world, that's what we celebrate this season. Father, may we not forget that you always keep your promises. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.